The following program, Mind Over Matters, is sponsored by TCFIHAW LLC and to the extent applicable, their guests. The views and opinions expressed therein do not necessarily reflect those of Newsweb Radio or its management. Experience a full mind, body, and spirit approach to living your best life. Learn how to achieve optimal health, wealth, and happiness. This is your journey to wellness and abundance. You are listening to Mind Over Matters with your host, Dr. Amy Harris Nuon of the Center for Integrative and Functional Health and Wellness. Welcome to Mind Over Matters. I'm your host, Dr. Amy Harris-Nuon. As you know, I'm a double board certified integrative and interventional clinical psychologist with a postgraduate specialization in functional wellness. I'm also a certified wellness instructor, best-selling author and speaker, and the director for the Center for Integrative and Functional Health and Wellness in Bloomingdale, Illinois. So the purpose of the show is to get you thinking about how powerful your mind is and what you can do right now to change your life for the better. So this show, Mind Over Matters, will challenge you to think differently, to think differently how your physical health can be improved, the health of your relationships, including the relationship with yourself, of course, your level of day-to-day happiness, and even your financial well-being. All of these areas can be dramatically improved by taking a more holistic and pragmatic approach to your life. So my goal is to educate and empower you to live a life by design, a life on purpose and with passion and, of course, always positive results. To that end, I want to just say our results can change based on what we're thinking, what we're doing, what we're saying. And I've got a very interesting show this week. I want to start by asking, do you ever wonder what those so-called Freudian slips say about you and how they betray what you may be thinking, right? And certainly what you may be feeling. It's interesting to note that our daily communications are filled with these slips, pauses, sometimes outright lies, sometimes lies through omission, you know, different facial expressions, tone of voice, you name it. But what does it all mean? And can you trust what you think the communication means? Well, believe it or not, what we say or what we don't say, including how we say it and when we say something, speaks volumes about our inner world how you think and feel along with what you really mean and what you believe. Contributing authors in the current edition of Psychology Today have really, really taken care of us. They've compiled the research on various types of communication and what it really means. So on this week's show, I'm going to share with you the different meanings associated with the various pronouns. For example, I, me, we, and the changes in meanings there. I'll share with you the meaning and the impact behind those so-called Freudian slips, and you know we've all said them, right? I'll discuss strategies to identify what the authors call deceptive speech, a.k.a. lies. I'll even help you understand what those pauses mean, whether it's a short pause or those long pregnant pauses. And then finally, I'll share with you how our brain works as what they call a prediction machine during conversations. All of this and more. So welcome to what you say or don't say speaks volumes. So, you know, I'm generally not a fan of a lot of what's included in psychology today um, for for various reasons. Uh, But I do really, really want you to understand how what we say affects what we think, what we feel, and of course, our relationships. So I'm just going to dive right in. The authors start by asking, did I really just say that? They say your slips of the tongue may not be Freudian, but that doesn't make them meaningless. So each of us speaks on average thousands of words per day. And for the most part, we handle this immense verbal volume with a plum. And when the inevitable error arises, for example, trying to tell a friend about, you know, uh, Prague's knife life, say, uh, yet accidentally talking about the city's light knife instead, it can be amusing, frustrating, even embarrassing, but does it actually mean anything, right? So, you know, those so-called Freudian slips. Well, the authors go on to say Sigmund Freud certainly thought so in the famed psychoanalyst's 1901 book, The Psychopathology of Everyday Life. He argued that the seemingly inconsequential verbal errors we make each day, in fact, reveal the secrets and desires, often sexual, of our unconscious mind. Now, I will pause there and say, 
I'm not a big Sigmund Freud fan, but, you know, there was some merit to his research and certainly pioneer in the field of psychoanalysis. Not everything relates to sex, but according to Freud, it did. But I will say he is known for a famous quote that said, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. So not everything we have has a secret meaning or an unconscious meaning. But the authors go on to say today, many people continue to believe that their slips of the tongue threatened to unmask their repressed natures or deepest, darkest thoughts. And the term Freudian slip remains part of our everyday vernacular, even as many of Freud's other ideas have been debunked. But more recent research on speech production suggests a different, less titillating explanation. Quote, slips happen because we have to retrieve words very quickly, sometimes two or three a second, and get all of their sounds correct, says psycholinguist Gary Dell, who's a professor, uh, professor emeritus at the University of Illinois Champaign-Urbana. He says this process occurs via, quote, spreading of activation, end quote, of different nodes in your brain. When you're trying to retrieve cat, for example, both similar meaning words like dog and similar sounding words like cap are activated. So choosing incorrectly from the several options presented leads us to a slip. Sounds, too, collide with others during the rapid-fire process. Someone might ask for a cup of coffee or a cuff with an F, a cough of coffee, because their brain was forecasting the rest of the sentence, right, coffee, and activated the F sound too early. So certain situations, talking too quickly or being unfamiliar with the topic of discussion, tend to make slips more likely. For example, I've had a couple already in this show. Right. You know, I'd, I'd like to think it's because, you know, I haven't had my coffee yet, but it's probably because, you know, I'm thinking of the next word before, you know, I can articulate it quickly enough. The author says our slips also tend to adhere to certain rules, Dr. Dell says. Even if you mix up or omit sounds, you'll still more likely to say a real word than a non-word. And what's more, words you accidentally utter may indeed be words that were already on your mind. In one experiment, for example, participants who had read the phrase damp rifle were more likely to later say wet gun instead of get one. Says Freud was right that slips express meaning in thoughts, Dell notes. There's no evidence, though, that repressed thoughts are more likely to be expressed. Interesting, though. I can't help but think of that old, old show, Ali McBeal. That was on, I think, in the 90s, uh, you know, uh, that hilariously, uh, you know, showed her making all kinds of Freudian slips. And yes, they were often sexual uh, or revealed her thoughts about someone on the show that maybe she didn't like or whatever. But uh, it was kind of a funny show. Regardless, the authors say the vast majority of the errors we make each day pass by unnoticed. Certain mistakes, though, can seem to take on outsized psychological importance, either because the misspoken words appear significant in some way or because of where and when they occur, right? Do you remember I said at the opening of the show, it's not only what you say, but how you say it, when you say it, as well as, of course, the tone associated with it. So slips of omission can appear especially damning, argues retired therapist Leon Seltzer. For example, a client in couples counseling who accidentally tells his partner that he's attracted to his colleague when he meant to say he isn't. The sound NT may have been omitted because he was trying very hard not to say the wrong thing and stumbles or because he's in fact making a concerted effort to hide the truth. Quote, Freud would certainly be hyperbolic, Seltzer says, but I think he was right in concluding that what we're thinking, yet not actually wanting to say, can at times be so close to the surface that it gets involuntarily expressed. Right, the classic Freudian slip, saying what you were thinking and what you were feeling, not wanting it to come out, but boop, there it is. So, interesting, when we come back, I'll talk just a little bit more about what these Freudian slips are. And again, I think we're, uh, you know, all, you know, prone to Freudian slips, but they're not all sexual in nature. Uh, sometimes, though, uh, they do reveal quite a bit. So stick around. You're listening to Mind Over Matters. I'm your host, Dr. Amy Harris-Nuan. You're listening to today's show titled What You Say or Don't Say Speaks Volumes About You. 
A complete solution for your joint pain is here and without surgery. The Center for Integrative and Functional Health and Wellness's clinically proven treatments repair and regenerate damage, restoring normal function, even walk out the same day. It's the only treatment center in Illinois offering a one-year guarantee for this procedure. Trust the thousands of patients who got their life back. Call us today or visit thecifhw.com. Do you or a loved one suffer from depression and medications just aren't working? Or the debilitating side effects associated with most antidepressants make them impossible to take? We can help. At the Center for Integrative and Functional Health and Wellness, we offer transcranial magnetic stimulation, or TMS. TMS is a safe and effective drug-free treatment option that can dramatically improve your quality of life. In fact, the majority of our clients experience a significant improvement in mood, with many achieving complete remission. TMS uses MRI technology to gently stimulate areas of the brain that are underactive in people suffering from depression. TMS is FDA-approved for the treatment of depression and has also been shown to be effective in treating other mood disorders like OCD, PTSD, and anxiety. TMS therapy is covered by most insurance companies, including Medicare. If medications aren't working for you now, chances are they never will. Let us help. Call the Center for Integrative and Functional Health and Wellness at 630-980-1400 for an immediate consultation. That's 630-980-1400. Or visit us online at thecifhw.com. Welcome back to Mind Over Matters. I'm your host, Dr. Amy Harris-Nuon. You're listening to this week's show titled What You Say or Don't Say Speaks Volumes. If you've missed any of the show, you can check out a rebroadcast on this great station, or you can check us out online at our website. It's thecifhw.com. You can check out a rebroadcast on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash thecifhw. You can even get a rebroadcast on SoundCloud. But I would encourage you to get it on this great station, our website, our Facebook page, right? So also want to encourage you to pick up a copy of my best-selling book, LifeWorks, an integrative approach to health and healing. All the proceeds from that book go to benefit nonprofit organizations, uh, veterans organizations, as well as uh, pet rescue and adoption organizations, special recreation organizations. Uh, we've got quite a few identified. So you can pick up a paperback copy on Amazon, or you can check it out in the Kindle version. It's LifeWorks, an integrative approach to health and happiness. Very, very practical guide to improving your day-to-day life. Okay, I also want to encourage you to like us and follow us on social media. We're putting out some really great content, and uh, you know we appreciate you liking and sharing our content as well as following us online. And to that end, we have decided to run a holiday food drive. You can learn more about that uh, on, on our Facebook page and our social media we're asking you to bring in five non-perishable food items, and in exchange, you can get a B12 shot. So uh, we're hoping to really, really maximize our donations this season because, you know, hunger sometimes goes unnoticed, but it affects uh, so many people. And then, of course, you know, I want to invite you, if you are dealing with any kind of health issue, whether it's, you know, uh, mental or behavioral health, depression, anxiety, or physical health anxiety, you know, maybe you're anxious all the time and you've got some health issues going on, want to invite you to schedule an appointment, 630-980-1400. We have added a new uh, integrative uh, physician, actually two integrative physicians along with another therapist. We are accepting uh, new clients and patients in person for telehealth as well as video visits. And again, we see clients locally, nationally, as well as internationally. So give us a call, 630-980-1400. So back to the show. So we're talking about communication and what it says and what it doesn't say, whether it's a long pause, whether it's the pronouns you're using, whether it's the proverbial Freudian slip. And Lord knows, you know, I've had my share of Freudian slips. Uh, I think we all have. Um, even, you know, uh, our ability pr- to predict what's upcoming in conversations. And I think that's You know, a lot of what leads to Freudian slips, too. But with regards to Freudian slips, you know, whether they're frustrating or revealing can also simply be a testament to the power of human language, Dr. Dell argues. Says we're more likely to slip by saying an established word, but at their most 
serendipitous, slips can sometimes actually help us create and understand new words, allowing us to move beyond fixed set of expressions and communicate in ways that no other animals can. Quote, we form new combinations of words with just about everything we say, he explains. Slips of the tongue are the unintended novelties that arrive from this fundamentally good aspect of language. So talking about combination of words, I'll just share like a little funny ditty. Uh, So I was out walking our newest dog, Sutton, Dr. Sutton, uh, posted a really great picture of him the other day after work. Uh, but I was out walking him recently, taking him potty. And, uh, you know, I, I, before I got dogs, I don't have kids. I, I never thought I'd use the word potty. But, you know, we were in a hurry. Well, I was in a hurry because it was before work. So I'm taking Sutton out to go potty. And uh, I'm like, okay, time to go potty. Let's go. And uh, I'll say, all right, so Sutton, time to go pee, let's go. Or Sutton, you know, time to go poop, whatever. So anyway, I was kind of frustrated and wanting to say potty, but I mixed it with pee and poop and pooty came out. So now <laughs> I affectionately created a new combo word, pooty. So when Sutton has to go out, it's because he's got to take a pooty. Has nothing to do with uh, Sigmund Freud or Freudian slip, but it is a combo word. So... Let's talk about pronouns, though, whether we're using I in a sentence or we in a sentence or me in a sentence, because those communicate different messages as well. Again, whether we're intending to or not. So, again, the contributors of the recent article or recent edition of Psychology Today said some everyday unconscious word choices can reveal a great deal about the state of our lives. Surprise, surprise. So the authors say, what if some of the most common words people use every day without much conscious thought could actually clue us into the degree of marital dis or marital dissatisfaction or satisfaction or potential for leadership or even more important be used to track their level of depression or suicide risk? Well, it turns out an impressive array of research suggests we could, in fact, derive all of that from the patterns of people's pronouns interesting. And now we're seeing and we're experiencing more and more people's preference for pronoun, whether it's they, them, her, she, I, we, me, those kind of things. So let's talk first about the transition from me to we and that meaning. The authors say when we're in a romantic relationship, the partnering power of we reflects more than just our non-single status. It's also a good indicator of marital health. Studies have shown that partners who use more first-person plural pronouns like we or us report greater marital satisfaction than those who use the singular I or you more often. And this is not so surprising if we think of we as reflecting a view of ourselves as part of a team. This collective perspective also appears to help couples in times of difficulty or conflict. Other research has found that using the plural pronouns also indicates higher quality interactions and more positive problem solving. Okay, no surprise there. That's kind of cool, right? When people see themselves as part of a team, there's a great deal of increased confidence in one's ability to problem solve as well as be compassionate and understanding. Well, the authors also say, but when a relationship ends, shifting back to a more self-focused I or me may show that one or both partners have adapted to the breakup. Okay, and that just makes sense. While most people probably associate Rudy Giuliani with politics and not pronouns, researchers James Pennebaker and Thomas Lay of the University of Texas found that he started using more I pronouns at press conferences after going through a painful and public divorce, suggesting his processing of a newly single identity. In a different study, people who were still using we to talk about themselves and their ex after a breakup were found to be less adjusted to their split than those who used to be, you know, used to the more uh, othering he or she. Okay, that was quoted, you know, that was a quote and it's kind of awkward. Um, That's one of the reasons I don't like psychology today so much, because sometimes it's written very clinically or awkwardly. But basically, from me to we or weed eye, right? So what about the ultimate power word, right? Psychologists and linguists have found that the pronoun patterns also reveal a lot about power and the status and other facets of our lives. That's kind of interesting. 
They say, in a study asking people to solve a task in which one member of a group was arbitrarily assigned as a leader, researchers found that this quote-unquote leader used more other focused pronouns like you or she, while quote-unquote lower status participants used more self-focused pronouns like I. Considered with other research examining the pronoun patterns of those in more powerful positions, a pattern emerges. Leaders use fewer first-person singular words and more plural words, we, our, they, while subordinates lean on I. Okay, interesting, interesting, interesting. So here we have, you know, the ultimate power words. Even when someone doesn't consider themselves to be a leader, but now, for example, in this research study, they're put into a position of leadership, their their mind consciously and even unconsciously kicks into using pronouns that are much more inclusive. Again, we, our, they. Okay, interesting to note, when we come back, we're going to be talking more about the ultimate power word and what it says about you, as well as the pronoun I and what that means. You know, uh, interesting to think that, you know, uh, we don't always pay attention to what we say, and sometimes we don't really understand or appreciate that others are. But again, what we say or what we don't say speaks volumes. So when we come back, we're going to be talking more about leadership, subordination, pronouns, as well as the I pronouns and what that signals. So you're listening to Mind Over Matters. The Center for Integrative and Functional Health and Wellness's clinically proven treatments repair and regenerate damaged tissue, restoring normal function. The procedures were easy, comfortable, and left me feeling pain-free. I can dance, run, and jump again if I want to. Three decades of pain in my back and neck injuries I suffered in active duty. The doctor has me nearly 100% pain-free now, and I never thought that was possible. Trust the thousands who got their life back. Book an appointment today. Welcome back to Mind Over Matters. I'm your host, Dr. Amy Harris-Nuan. As you know, I'm a double board certified integrative and interventional clinical psychologist, as well as the director for the Center for Integrative and Functional Health and Wellness. Welcome back to the show titled, What You Say or Don't Say Speaks Volumes About You. If you've missed any part of the show, you can check out a rebroadcast on this great station, or you can check us out online at our Facebook page. It's facebook.com forward slash the CIFHW. Check us out on our website, thecifhw.com. We've got a lot of great content, too, on our social media, so I'm going to invite you to like us, follow us, and share us. Also going to ask that you check out the, the current food drive that we're doing in exchange for donating five non-perishable food items. We're going to hook you up with a B12 shot just in time for the holiday season. So please uh, consider uh, helping support those less fortunate. All right, let's get back to the show. So we're talking about communication strategies, whether they're Freudian slips, whether they're long pauses, what the meanings of certain pronouns mean, our brain's ability to be a prediction machine, you name it. It's pretty interesting stuff. We started talking about Freudian slips, and you know, although Dr. Sigmund Freud might disagree that Freudian slips all, you know, uh, aren't all related to sex, that was a Freudian slip. I'm just kidding. I want to see if you're paying attention. Some of them are just mixes in words, right? Combo words. Like, you know, when I speak to my dog Sutton and, uh, when I'm in a hurry for him to take a pooty. But what is about power words, you know, especially the power of pronouns? Well, again, when people are put in positions of leadership, they consciously and unconsciously start using more words like we or our or they, where subordinate positions use more I pronouns. Well, in reviewing the research from the contributing editors and authors in psychology today, uh, they say it may be at first surprising as the pronoun I might seem like the ultimate power word, as in I expect or I need, but as anyone trying to effectively parent or supervise has learned, telling someone what they need to do by couching it in terms of what you want rarely works. Instead, those in higher status positions may need to focus more on the actions of others, while those in lower rank focus on their own role. 
The authors say the idea that leaders should use more other-focused pronouns might be why, when those in powerful positions do use a lot of I pronouns, that they're sometimes accused of being narcissistic. But studies have failed to turn up a consistent association between high levels of I talk and narcissism. So basically, you know, if someone's using a lot of I stuff, I need you to do this, I need you to take care of that. That's not necessarily associated with narcissism. It could just be a poor choice of words, okay? And I is not the ultimate power word for someone in a leadership role. It's really, again, uh, we, our, they. But what about the I pronoun? Is there more to using the word I than meets the eye or ear? Well, the pronoun... The pronoun I signals truthfulness, a lot of research shows. It says the person is committed to what they're saying. So self-focus, as it happens, is not the same thing as self-importance, right? That's what we would you know, think of when we're thinking of narcissism. The authors say we all appear to shift towards I pronouns when self-focus makes sense, as when we're talking about our own work product or activities or when facing life stressors, for example, after a breakup or other traumatic event. It's only when self-focus becomes extreme or overly intense that the amount of I talk may point to a more serious mental health issue. So the authors then ask, when I should worry. They say a multitude of studies in both clinical and non-clinical settings have revealed that depressed individuals routinely use more I pronouns than others. And in letters written by college students who were clinically depressed, there were more I pronouns than in letters by other students. And poets who later committed suicide were found to use higher rates of I pronouns than those who did not. And I'm just going to say, you know, uh, clinically speaking, depression, anxiety, trauma, those are very, very, very self-focused experiences, right? So it makes sense that there's going to be a lot of high language in there. But the authors go on to say, if high use of singular pronouns can be proven to serve as a signal of severe emotional distress, then changes in an individual's rates and types of pronouns used over time might be valuable for the clinicians who monitor and assess them. It also opens up the possibility that providing patients with opportunities to switch perspectives between self and other focused pronouns might might provide some positive benefits. On that note, I'm just going to add a little asterisk and say, when someone's dealing with a, a very serious mood disorder, even mild, you know, maybe a mild depression, for example, there is a much more intense focus on the self, which is understandable. They're consumed with what they're thinking and feeling, right? And so one of the things I encourage our clients to do is to get out of their own way, to get out of their own head and start thinking about or doing for other people. Volunteering is a great example. The, the fastest way to get out of your own head and stop, you know, thinking about what you're feeling and feeling about what you're feeling is to do something for someone else, e.g. volunteering. So same thing holds true in our communication. When we start focusing on other people, the use of the I pronoun is significantly reduced. I Back to the article, though. It says, though research is limited on the question of whether consciously changing one's pronoun usage might itself improve mental state, in at least one study, shifting focus away from oneself in a diary writing exercise, for example, narrating the same event by first person using the letter I or me, then shifting to the second person, you, and then finally to the third person, she or they, provided therapeutic benefit. Again, it's getting you out of your own head. When you focus on someone else, it's a beautiful thing, right? The authors go on to say, people's pronoun choice offers a unique opportunity to determine how they see themselves within the stories they tell and provides a surprising window into their psychological, emotional, and social states. These few simple everyday words can turn out to be exceptionally revealing. I absolutely agree. I want to thank author and psychologist Valerie Fridland for that. She's a professor of linguistics at the University of Nevada, Reno, and she's also the author of Like Literally Dude, Arguing for the Good in Bad English. All right. Thanks, Doc. I appreciate that. But 
What is it about other forms of communication? What about lies? Now, it's interesting to think that there are different types of lies. I can think of three types of lies. There's an outright lie, right? What we call a lie by lying by commission because you're committing that lie. There's lies by omission, what you don't say. And then there's another category called a FOMA, F-O-M-A. Most people have never heard of that, uh, but a FOMA is kind of like a little white lie. It's told intentionally, so it's similar to a live commission. It's a little white lie generally used to protect someone's feelings. Okay. Now, I'm not advocating FOMAs or anything like that, but I'm just letting you know there are different types of deceptive communication. So when we come back, I'm going to be talking more about how to identify deceptive speech because even the most committed deceivers leave critical clues in their speech for those who know what to look for. You know, in poker, I think they call it the tells, right? Um, so when we come back, we're going to be talking more about these tells, these critical clues that can help us tune in to whether or not someone is not being upfront and honest with us. Stick around. You're listening to Mind Over Matters. Do you or a loved one suffer from depression and medications just aren't working? Or the debilitating side effects associated with most antidepressants make them impossible to take? We can help. At the Center for Integrative and Functional Health and Wellness, we offer transcranial magnetic stimulation, or TMS. TMS is a safe and effective, drug-free treatment option that can dramatically improve your quality of life. In fact, the majority of our clients experience a significant improvement in mood, with many achieving complete remission. TMS uses MRI technology to gently stimulate areas of the brain that are underactive in people suffering from depression. TMS is FDA-approved for the treatment of depression and has also been shown to be effective in treating other mood disorders like OCD, PTSD, and anxiety. TMS therapy is covered by most insurance companies, including Medicare. If medications aren't working for you now, chances are they never will. Let us help. Call the Center for Integrative and Functional Health and Wellness at 630-980-1400 for an immediate consultation. That's... 630-980-1400 or visit us online at thecifhw.com everyone welcome back to mind over matters i'm your host dr amy harris new one you're listening to today's show titled what you say or don't say speaks volumes about you you know do you ever wonder what the so-called freudian slips say about you do you ever wonder what other people think about you when those freudian slips come out well, the truth is our daily communications are filled with slips, pauses, questionable facial expressions, lies, you name it. But what does it all mean? And can you trust that what you think it means really means it? Well, believe it or not, what we say or don't say, how we say it, when we say it, speaks volumes about us, what we're thinking, what we're feeling. You know, it can even predict behavior. Okay. I want to thank the contributing authors in the current edition of Psychology Today for helping us understand the nuances of communication. And again, if you've missed any of the show, you can check out a rebroadcast on this great station. You can check us out online at our website, thecifhw.com. You can check out a rebroadcast on our Facebook page. And I'm also going to invite you to like us and follow us on social media and definitely Please contribute to your local food drives. We're hosting a food drive here uh, through the end of next month. And in exchange for five non-perishable food items, we're giving you a B12 shot. All right, so let's get back to the article. We talked about different types of lies before we went to break. The lies, the acts of commission, the, the lies of omission, what you're not saying, and then those sneaky little FOMAs, lies that are said with the intention of uh, protecting someone's feelings. But how do you identify deceptive speech? Again, you know, the authors in the recent edition of Psychology Today have done a great job helping us, you know, to be able to tune in to what those clues are. So let me just say, you know, the authors say, truth can be elusive and liars often get away with delivering their version of reality to audiences untrained in detecting deception. But many would-be deceivers unconsciously expose themselves through their speech in ways that alert listeners 
and learn to detect. So you can learn to detect a lie, right? Certain core maxims tend to guide our conversations, and when they're broken, it should raise a red flag. For example, we know that tone should match content, and so people's nonverbal expressions should also be congruent with their words. So someone reporting bad news with a smile, for example, or vice versa, may be engaged in deception or at least withholding. So the following are some other potential signs of deception. So listen up. Using the personal identifier I signals truthfulness. It indicates that a person is committed to what they're saying. Liars, however, often struggle at some level to commit to false information, so they unintentionally omit I when they speak. Often, liars will mix truthful statements with deceptions, leading to the presence of I in honest declarations and to its omission when they're telling falsehoods. Interesting. The authors also say, imagine parents asking their son where he was the night before and getting this response. I drove to John's house, went to the park and played basketball, went to the convenience store and bought a drink. I drove John home. I drove home after that. The son's use of I in the first sentence indicates he's committed to this part of the story. In the next two sentences, though, he omits the personal pronoun, indicating less commitment. So these are areas of his response where he may not be being truthful. Interesting. When deception is suspected, each sentence a person speaks should be examined for the use of the first person in simple past tense, and perhaps more importantly, its absence. So when we tell the truth, we retrieve information from our memories, and to deceive, we need to either make up quote-unquote facts or modify our memories. Deceivers often mentally rehearse their lies in the present tense, and once satisfied that a fabricated story is plausible, they must translate it into the past tense to simulate a truthful narrative, but they often fail to do so completely, leading to unintentional use of present tense, with the information delivered in the present tense potentially cluing at attentive listener to deception. So an exception is that when people recount traumatic events, they often use the present tense because they're reliving events in their mind as they tell the story. That's something especially for clinicians to tune into as well. But the author's going to say liars also use stopped action words, stopped action words, to give the illusion that they completed an action or activity when in fact it may not have been finished or even begun. Common examples include started, began, continued, resumed, asked, tried, and continued. They, uh, I think they used that twice. In the sentence, I started to put my turn signal on, the speaker uses the stopped action word started to give the impression that he turned the signal on when in fact he didn't. If he had, he would have just said, I turned my signal on. A stopped action word accompanied by a reason for the interruption indicates truthfulness. When it lacks a reason, it should raise suspicion. The use of try in particular suggests the speaker is not serious about a task. Try provides a built-in escape hatch. And I'm just going to say this. It's interesting to note, now you might not even realize it, when somebody says, yeah, I'll try and get that done, mm -mm, it's almost never going to get done. Because consciously and even unconsciously, it really does give someone and out an escape hatch. So when you're asking somebody, hey, please take care of this, they say, they'll try. Just simply say, please take care of it. You're either going to take care or you're not. No try. I think, was it Yoda said do or don't do? No try. Because try, no, you can't trust that word. Okay. So that's a deceptive speech. Somebody's wanting to present as though they're going to take care of something when most of the time they know they're not going to. Okay, so the authors go on to say liars typically tell the truth up until the point when they want to withhold something, of course. They then skip over the potentially incriminating information and resume telling the truth. In this manner, they only provide the facts that can be verified. So withholding, though, creates gaps in their speech that must be addressed with verbal bridges, the most common of which were identified by the author's research as then so, after, when, as, while, and next. These bridges, these word bridges, identify where liars are withholding information, so identifying them provides specific areas for additional inquiry. Again, lying through omission, right? 
For example, the authors say a student suspected of taking $20 from a teacher's office during a break in class, for example, was asked to produce a statement about her activities at the time. She wrote, I arrived at 7.45 a.m. with Jenna. I came into the room, put my bag at my desk, and Jenna and I went to the snack area to get some coffee. I returned to the classroom and sat at my desk. At 8.50, we went on a break. Jenna and I went to the bathroom. After that, I came back to the classroom, and Jenna stayed in the bathroom. She came back to the classroom soon. We sat at our desk and waited for class to continue. The use of the text bridge after creates an information gap between the time she went to the bathroom and the time she came back to the classroom. Sufficient time to steal the 20 bucks, which after a more detailed follow-up interview, the student admitted to doing. Interesting. A lot of times you can tell when a person's lying when they add in a whole lot of detail too, right? That's kind of a telltale that someone's lying. It's like, oh my gosh, you just gave me way too much information. That's usually an indication of deception. So, and that might be easier to pick up than, you know, the words then, so, after, when, while, next. That's kind of hard for, you know, most of us to pick up. But look for incongruencies in their tone as well. And look for certain facial expressions. Uh, What about pauses? Um, Well, you know, you're saying more than you think. So let's dive into pauses before we go to break, because this is kind of cool. The authors say we may not like to hear placeholder words, but we get more information from them than we realize. Okay. For example, spontaneous speech is messy. We stumble over words, lose our line of thought, mid-sentence, slow down to buy time to find the word that we're looking for, and produce tons of so-called placeholder words like um, well, and you know. Together, these are known as disfluencies. And even though there's some evidence that higher disfluency rates correlate with lower verbal intelligence, we all do it. I'll just tell you, I use like, um, quite often. You know, one of the things when I was learning how to be a professional speaker, I remember the trainer said, don't sweat it if you are stuck or you're having to use the word um, because people really don't care. They care that you know what you're talking about and that you're passionate about it. So don't ever sweat it if you have to use one of those placeholder words like um. Okay. So they say when you ask people to judge others by their speech, a trend emerges. Listeners dislike disfluency. I actually had a listener email me that I used um way too much. And while I appreciated the feedback, because I absolutely do want to hear your feedback, it was my hope that he found the content useful. But slow talkers producing loads of ums and pauses are generally perceived as less charismatic and less intelligible. And this has been found in correlational studies as well, comparing natural speech from different talkers, but also in confirmatory experiences. When we uh, work from our own lab show that the same clip of a speaker may receive different scores from listeners depending on how many pauses are artificially inserted or how much their speech is slowed down. Stick around. Um, we'll be right back. A complete solution for your joint pain is here and without surgery. The Center for Integrative and Functional Health and Wellness's clinically proven treatments repair and regenerate damage, restoring normal function, even walk out the same day. It's the only treatment center in Illinois offering a one-year guarantee for this procedure. Trust the thousands of patients who got their life back. Call us today or visit thecifhw.com. Everyone, welcome back to Mind Over Matters. I'm your host, Dr. Amy Harris. Now, on you're listening to our show today titled "What You Say or Don't Say Speaks Volumes." If you've missed any of this show, you can check out a rebroadcast on this great station, or you can check us out online at our website. It's the cifhw.com. You can check out the rebroadcast on our Facebook page as well. Facebook slash or forward slash the cifhw.com. I would love to get your feedback. You can send me an email directly at healthandwellness 
at the CIFHW.com. It's all spelled out, health and wellness. Open to ideas for shows you might want to hear, if you've got feedback, if you'd like to share your experiences, if you want to share that I use too many placeholders like um and uh, long pauses, I'm certainly open to that as well. So I want to invite you to schedule an appointment if you're dealing with any kind of health issue. It could be mental, emotional health issue or physical health issue. We've got some great new doctors and therapists on our team and I'm really excited to be able to help more people. So you can call us directly, 630-980-1400. Again, 630-980-1400. You can also request an appointment by visiting our website, thecifhw.com, and submit an appointment request. We're happy to work with you. We see clients locally, nationally, as well as internationally. Also going to invite you to pick up a copy of my best-selling book, LifeWorks, An Integrative Approach to Health and Happiness. All of those proceeds go to benefit non profit organizations, which is especially important this time of year when, when, when need is so keenly felt. And uh, finally, I'm going to ask that you contribute to our food drive. When, when you bring five non-perishable food items, we're going to hook you up with a great B12 shot. So thanks for taking care of us. Thanks for tuning in. Of course, thank you for taking care of your community and uh, you know the people you care about, the people that make it happen. Lady B, thank you for taking such good care of me as well. So back to the show, what you say or don't say speaks volumes. So we left off talking about those pauses. The um is what we call the placeholder words. And these effects go beyond just acoustic indicators, the authors of psychology today say. The absence of natural hand gestures, for example, can make a speaker sound more accented. So observed in ratings of speakers' various personal traits, these effects have real-life consequences. Slow down the speech of a male talker and study shows that he's less likely to be successful in drawing female romantic interest. Job applicants who produce many speech disfluencies, again the ums and the pauses, are less likely to be hired. Listeners also draw an um as a lie detector. So when people play a competitive game, one tells the other that the treasure is behind the um castle, or the other player is more likely to look behind the princess, for example. So the authors say to avoid such reactions, being not being taken seriously or being thought of as being deceptive, audio editors routinely cut disfluences out of radio interviews and podcasts known as the de I know, Lady B, you don't do that to me, so I appreciate it. And public speakers strive to avoid placeholders. Honestly, don't sweat it. In all of the recorded inaugural speeches by U.S. presidents between 1940 and 1996, there's not a single uh or um, but science tells us there may even be more to disfluencies. What does the pause mean? So here's the thing. Disfluencies don't occur in random positions and sentences. Ums typically occur right before more difficult or low-frequency words, um, carburetor, for example, because most people over the course of their lives have had plenty of experience with this non-arbitrary distribution of disfluencies. They actually use this implicit knowledge when listening to disfluent speech. That is, they use ums to predict what word will follow next. For example, imagine you're having dinner with a friend at a restaurant and there are four items on the table, a knife, a glass, a napkin, and a wine decanter. Your friend turns to you and says, could you hand me the, um, well, what would you assume they want? Since it's unlikely they wouldn't hesitate before such common words, such as knife, glass, or napkin, chances are you'll look at the decanter, pick it up, and ask, you mean this? And this is exactly what we demonstrated through controlled eye tracking, the authors say. Interesting. Um, They've done eye tracking studies in their labs. It says when participants are presented with four objects on a screen and hear spoken instructions to click on the, um, they tend to look at the lowest frequency objects. Apparently, listeners hear the um and predict that an uncommon word is most likely to follow the next. Such predictions, though, reflect more than just simple association between speech disfluencies and difficult words. Listeners are actively taking the perspective of the speaker. For example, we showed that when you hear a non-native speaker say the same sentence as above, but with a thick foreign accent, click on the A. Listeners don't show a preference for looking at low-frequency objects. 
Presumably, this is because listeners assume non-native speakers may have as much trouble coming up with the English word for a common object, like knife, or, as for more unusual ones, as such, their disfluencies are less predictive. So what does that all mean? Well, in another experiment, listeners were presented with an atypical speaker who consistently produced disfluencies before simple words, um, knife, and never before difficult words. Initially, participants displayed the natural predictive strategy, looking at uncommon objects upon hearing um. However, as more time went by and they gained a experience with this atypical distribution of disfluencies, listeners started to demonstrate the reverse predictive behavior, meaning they tended to look at simple objects when hearing the talker say, um. That is, they learned to adjust their natural predictions to the disfluency behavior of the talking at hand. I am one of those speakers that, um, no, I'm just kidding, with the long pause. I use ums quite often, and I apologize if that makes you uncomfortable. Hopefully, you'll still find value in the show. But the authors say, these findings represent further evidence that the human brain is a prediction machine, meaning we continuously try to anticipate what will happen next. I'm just going to interject there and say, that's why a lot of people interrupt. It's not necessarily that they're trying to be rude or obnoxious or capitalize on a conversation, but our minds are a prediction machine. Right. So the author's going to say, in spoken communication, we draw upon prior experience to try to predict what word will follow and adjust these predictions on a talker-by-talker basis. So what may be distracting and unexpected for one talker may be conventional and expected for another because not all disfluencies are created equally. So I want to thank Dr. Hans Rutger Bosker, who leads the speech perception and audiovisual communication. Uh, he does research at Radboud University in the Netherlands. Um, our brain really is a prediction machine. I mean, we're consciously and continuously trying to anticipate what will happen next in a conversation. And again, I, I want to just you know put out there that a lot of times the speaker's not trying to be rude or insensitive or, or you know capitalize on the opportunity to talk. Sometimes they're just excited because their brain is going a million miles an hour. And same thing when we have what some people determine Freudian slips. It could be because someone's tired. It could be because they're having a little difficulty finding the right word or they're trying to be very intentional in their speech and use the right word. Uh, so there are lots of reasons, you know, why we have, you know, different ways of speaking. But there are Signs and tips you can use, though, when people are being deceptive, when they're not making good eye contact sometimes, when their, you know, their nonverbal communication doesn't match their verbal communication, you know, uh, those kind of things. Um, when they make up too many details about something, those are ways to detect deception in, in speech. Um, also, the pronouns we use, I pronouns usually signal truthfulness. We pronouns generally uh, indicate leadership, uh, capability, and competency. And again, Freudian slips, well, yes, they may reveal our unconscious hidden thoughts and feelings. That's not always the case. Sometimes we're just, you know, having difficulty finding the right word or we're making a combination of words. If you've got questions, I'd love to hear, you know, send me an email, health and wellness at the CIFHW. If you've got feedback, I'd welcome that as well. I want to thank you for tuning in today. I want to thank the contributing editors and authors of the recent edition of Psychology Today. And of course, thank you for always supporting the show. I'm your host, Dr. Amy Harris-Newon. Proceeding program, Mind Over Matters, was sponsored by TCFIHAW LLC, and to the extent applicable, their guests. The views and opinions expressed therein do not necessarily reflect those of Newsweb Radio or its management.